as we said, we've been teaching on fasting, and uh, so we'll cover this do's, don'ts, and miscellany, this lesson four. What we need to understand about fasting is uh, it is not a religious thing, though it could become religious. Fasting is one of those great biblical truths and activities that has been lost in this culture of convenience. It is inconvenient to go without food. It is inconvenient to turn your television off. Nowadays, we could say it's inconvenient to stop texting or Facebooking or MySpacing or Twittering or tweeting or whatever. And that may be why we have lost this art of fasting because we're just too inconvenienced. So who cares about convenience though? Serving God was never promised to be convenient. Uh, if we're looking for convenience, we need to go down to the Quickie Mart. They call that the convenience store. If we want convenience, go to Walmart. That's convenient. But if you're going to serve God, don't expect convenience. And if you want answers, don't expect your answers to come conveniently. That may be one of the greatest discouragements, perhaps, of the blessings of God. We know that America is blessed because it is a Christian nation, but that blessing has made us trained for convenience. We have technology coming out of our ears, and so we expect everything instantly. When we don't get it instantly from God, we're inconvenienced, so we go back to the world. Fasting is a tool that is not convenient, but it is one that is promised to work. All you got to do is just tell yourself you're not going to eat and your whole world falls apart. But you can train your flesh to where fasting is no big deal. You can train your flesh to where it knows, you know what, I'm not going to get in my way. If I say I want cheesecake bad enough, I'm not going to see it for a year because that's just what my owner is going to do to me. If I say I got to see uh, Sports Network again, I, I know I'm not going to get to see it for six months just because that's how my owner rolls. And that's what he's going to do to me. You can train your flesh to not be lazy, to not be conveniently driven. You can do this because your flesh is highly programmable. And like we saw with last week's lesson, one of the greatest things of fasting is that it sets you free from bondages. And probably the greatest bondages our flesh faces is appetites. You don't realize it, but you're in slavery to your own appetites because your appetites control you and your finances. I need a Slurpee. And in the car you go, though gas is $4 a gallon, and you drive three miles out of the way because you gotta have a Slurpee. And then you get a Slurpee. Oh, oh, wow, Slurpee. I feel so much better now. And unfortunately, we are not controlled by our appetites for God. Because folks will, start, you just watch, if gas gets any higher, folks will start using that as an excuse to not go to church. In fact, I heard that, uh, honestly, a week or two ago. Somebody said, I said, man, why, why'd you come to this church? Well, because I usually go to that church. But gas has gotten so high now. So this is closer. It's a young person. I can understand money, but if God has called you to that church, you go to that church. Don't come to my, and I will take you, but don't come to my church simply because it's cheaper on your gas budget. That's a slap to the face of God. Now, if he's called you here, praise God. You save money and you get blessed. But if he's called you to that church, you save up the nickels and dimes or you start carpooling and you get your tail to that church. So fasting, one of the things it does, it breaks us of this pathetic spirit of convenience because, whoa, Lord, if it isn't convenient, we're not going to do it. Well, we'll maybe preach that next service. Let's look at our curriculum here because I can already feel me wanting to get over into that again. Lesson number four, 
fasting do's, don'ts, and miscellany. This is kind of the curriculum I wrote where I had a whole bunch of other things I had studied out and I didn't know what to do with it, so I just called it a miscellaneous lesson. And we'll just cover a bunch of different stuff here. What a fast is not, this is what we wanna look at, because if we can understand what a fast is not, then we can keep our heart right in doing it. Number one, a fast is not a diet. That should be pretty simple enough. Uh, though you will probably lose weight fasting, you don't do it to lose weight because the second you stop fasting, you're going to put the weight back on. That's just a proven thing. That's why great men of God like Brother Hagin talked about living a fasted life. If you want to lose weight, you live a fasted life. You just control your appetites. You just curb them back. And again, here in America, it's the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the big portion or the big American? Science may never know. <laughs> History may never prove. Well, you just don't know. But in America, uh, we have big portions in the restaurants, and I fall prey to that. I think if I'm going out to eat and I'm paying $9 for this meal, I'm eating all of it. Though I don't need all of it. That's enough calories for a small African nation for a day. And it's right there on my plate. Amen. Then I got to go run five miles the next day to try to trim up. A fast is not a diet. A fast isn't a time to diet, nor should your heart be to lose weight. So that's a good place to judge your heart. Fasting, by biblical definition, is a time to afflict your soul. If you get nothing out of this curriculum, understand that fasting is what the Bible calls a time to afflict your soul. What does that mean, Pastor? It means your soul is screaming at you because it wants what it wants and you're depriving it. It could be Mountain Dews. It could be television. It could be uh, Internet time. It could be for like for me, the news. I'm on really my second week of no checking the news on my cell phone and I'm feeling pretty good and I don't know if I ever want to go back and do it again. I don't have to really speak to it much anymore. A week ago, I was like, no, in Jesus' name, I will not check the news on my phone. It just had a hold of me. What's got a hold of you? You can whip it by speaking to it and depriving your flesh, your soul of those appetites. Now, I was at Starbucks this morning and I did walk over to the newsstand Looked at USA Today just to say a little current headlines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. I'm good for another week. If the world goes away, the Lord will let me know. <laughs> if they drop a nuke, somebody will let me know. You know, other than that, I don't need to know. And it's helping my spiritual walk tremendously. A fast is a time to afflict your soul. And so what afflicts my soul may not afflict your soul. In fact, my wife said, well, honey, if you don't check the news, this household will know nothing about the news because I don't check the news. See, it doesn't afflict her soul, just mine. For you, it could be cupcakes, uh, it could be coffee, it could be um, soap operas, it could be Oprah, whatever's got a hold of you, that's a good thing to fast. And since most of the time it's food, it's not a time to diet, it's a time to afflict your soul. It's a time to you know, put the, the he quad helix, is what Jeff King calls it, the quad helix on it. It's just a wrestling move where you put the hurt on it. That's what a fast is for, not a time to diet. Though you may lose some weight, your heart should be set on seeking God and hearing from Him. If you are tempted to use fasting as a diet, either don't fast until you can get your heart right, or fast the foods you like and eat things you don't like. That might mean uh, you're, you, maybe you like uh, pizza and Italian food. Maybe you fast that and you eat nothing but oatmeal and vegetables. And your flesh will go, ugh. And you won't lose the weight, really, but at least you're fasting something. Maybe you fast Mountain Dews and you drink nothing but water. See, the thing is, you've got to get your flesh under control. And when you do get your flesh under control and you tone down the voice of your appetites, it makes it a lot easier to hear from heaven. 
That's one of the things fasting does for you. It silences everything. Your flesh is screaming at you and you end up having to seek God more because you're afflicting your soul. You're saying, Lord, help me. My stomach's hungry. Lord, help me. My eyes are hungry. Lord, help me. My flesh is hungry. Lord, help me. My soul is hungry. Some of you, I don't know, I've never been addicted to Facebook. I would say some of you in here are addicted to Facebook. You can't go a day without hopping online and checking Facebook or checking your phone for Facebook. Five years ago, well, six years ago, seven years ago, it didn't even exist. And now a third of the world is on Facebook. I am not. I don't care about it. I don't, I don't need to know that you were at TCBY yesterday getting yogurt with your friend Sally. I don't care about that. But we do use it around here to pastor you. We get on there and see the stupid stuff you're posting and my wife transfers it to me. I say, hmm, so that's where they've been. They can't afford to tithe, but they're on vacation again, huh? Hmm. So I'm not that spiritual, but one way or another, pastor always finds out. Maybe for you, afflicting your soul is fasting Facebook and you'll find out how really weak your flesh is because, oh my gosh, what are they doing? I don't care what they're doing. Why do you care what they're doing? Oh, uh, what's my son doing? What's my daughter doing? What's my friend? I don't care. Why do you care? Pray. See, put your flesh under. And with the subject of food, if you're given over to fast or to dieting as the heart condition, well, I'm going to fast and maybe I'll lose some weight. That's not the proper motive. It's not going to be as effective as possible. Maybe what you do is fast all the fattening food you like and uh, you do vegetables and maybe fish and just the food your soul loathes because at least then you're getting calories but you're still putting the quahelix on your flesh. I know after we came through the construction, my wife and I had eaten fast food, I think two meals a day for three months. I said, honey, that's it. We're not doing fast food for two months. Just, just to fast it, just to save our pocketbook and just, it was a convenient thing. And I'm tired of being convenienced. I want to be inconvenienced and live a life of inconvenience. It's just too easy to go through the drive through It takes more work to plan the meal, to go grocery shopping, to sit at home and actually look at each other face to face and have a meal together. I mean, as pastors, too many of our meals are sitting side by side in a car driving somewhere, stuffing our face and getting cheese out of our lap. <laughs> so a fast is a time to afflict your soul. It's not a time to die. What else is a fast not? A fast is not business as usual. What do we mean by that? It means basically when you're fasting, you should be seeking God. Your life should change up a little bit. Fast is not a time when your life is business as usual. Your lifestyle should change somewhat during a fast. You should be spending more time in prayer, more time in the Bible, perhaps even more time at church seeking God. If you're fasting, chances are you're trying to get the victory over something in your life or you're trying to get some prayers answered. It's not just a matter of you skipping a lunch or two lunches or three lunches and that's just it. And you're still, you know, at the office goofing off and you're still going out to eat with your friends, but you're not eating, you're just drinking water. You should be taking that time while you're fasting to be praying, spending time in the Word, proclaiming the Word of God, even coming to, how about this, church during your lunch break if you're on a fast. And during that lunch hour that you would normally take to go get you some fast food, you come to the altars of God and you pray for 30 minutes because it takes you 15 minutes to get here. You pray for 30, then 15 minutes to get back. A fast is not business as usual. If you've decided to fast, it's because you're in a situation that's got to get fixed and it's got to get fixed quick. So your life should be changing. It isn't, let's watch, you know, let me fast food and watch television. If you're going to fast food, might as well fast some television and spend that time in the evening praying and seeking God. If not, then really all you're doing is depriving yourself of calories. 
If your life is not changing somewhat more towards the spiritual realm, then all you're doing is going two days, three days a week and depriving your body of calories. And as we've proven, depriving your body of calories does not make you a spiritual giant. It makes you hungry. You've got to mix this with amplifying your Christian walk, praying, reading your Bible, going to church. If you're praying and you're fasting to get the victory over sin, you ought to be mixing that with scriptures that get the victory over sin. If you're fasting to get healing for your body, you ought to be mixing that with scriptures that uh, have healing in them. If you're wanting to get uh, an answer for your children or turn a situation, you need to be finding scriptures that produce that result. Don't keep reading your Bible in one year while you're fasting if you're trying to get answers for something. Just use common sense here. If you're fasting because your right hand offends you, I'd find a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about getting the victory over an offensive right hand. And don't just skip lunch and come home and do business as usual. We have to be mindful of that. In fact, that's one of the things the Lord rebukes Israel of in Isaiah 58. And the New Century Version brings it out the best. It says, when you fast, it's business as usual. And you go to work and you treat your workers poor and it ends up in fighting and strife and punching one another. That's business as usual. That's you just being crabby and grouchy and taking it out on everybody when you're supposed to be spending time in God, with God. Honestly, when you fast, you ought to be, have a much more peaceful home. You ought to have a much more lovely marriage because you're getting more of God into your life in that household during that season of fasting if you're doing this thing right. But if you're a crabby jerk when you're fasting, something is short-circuiting here and all you are is depriving yourself of calories. So fasting is not business as usual. Come to the house of God more. I still marvel how many folks don't come to our corporate prayer on Thursdays when they work within five minutes of here. We, we pray every Thursday here from noon to one. Miss Ginger leads it. She's faithful. She's like clockwork. I make all sorts of plans. Where's Ginger? Oh, we have corporate prayer today. I forget about it. But she's back there usually with two or three ladies. It's amazing. Ladies pray more than men do. And we might have me back there every once in a while or maybe Alan Hawkins or somebody. But if you're fasting, that might be a good thing to come to. In fact, that's how Shannon Heron got the victory over Morgan, uh, with Morgan over that report from the psychologist. I commanded her, I said, if you want to know what to do, I'd fast lunches and Thursday and Friday. I said, Thursdays, you come up here and pray. And Friday, you pray. And that's what she did for about a month or two months leading up to the reanalysis of the psychologist. And the report got turned. Thank God for it. She coupled her fasting together with more prayer. And she got the psychologist to admit they were wrong. You know that's a miracle when psychologists admit they're wrong. Now, usually they just put on another layer of psychoanalysis and it throws some big words out there that we little people don't understand. And I guess we're wrong. Shrink, doc, maybe I need to come talk to you. No, you need to sit down in my church and shut up and get the devil cast out of you, you shrink. I think they're called shrinks because their brains have shriveled. <laughs> Amen. Fasting is not a bragging right. Fasting has the promise of public reward from God, but only if it is done with the right motives. Did you know that fasting, Jesus said, if you fast privately, God will see in secret and openly reward you. Did you know that? That's what Matthew 6 says. Going without food will not make you spiritual. The starving pagan third world proves this fact every day. But going without food so that you may seek God Almighty will make you spiritually mature. Don't seek to wow man with your ability to withhold food from yourself. But here's the deal. It is okay to let people know you are fasting. That way they can accommodate you. 
Now, I know Jesus said, when you fast, don't be as the Pharisees, which darken their countenance so they might have the reward of men. He's, and now when I, I understand that. You don't go around bragging, well, I've gone three days, Pastor. I've gone four days. Uh, we're not talking about that. What we're saying is, let your husband know, hey, I'm going to fast for a few meals. Let your, your wife know, hey, honey, I'm going to skip dinner the next, for the whole week so I can seek God for us. You need to let them know, otherwise you come home and you've determined in your heart you're going to fast and your honey's got a big old meal. Honey, I can't eat it. And now you hurt her feelings. Now we got strife in the home. Now we're back to Isaiah 58, 1 through 4, punching and fighting and screaming when you were supposed to be seeking God. It's perfectly all right to let people know, hey, I'm going to, do, I'm going to withhold some food from myself. I'm going to skip breakfast for the next week or maybe lunch. I'm not drinking coffee this week so I can fast and put my flesh under. It's perfectly all right because it's the right heart Plus, it's keeping peace in your home. And uh, I would almost even tell you, maybe, I don't know, on business jobs, it's a little more difficult. You don't want to appear super spiritual or freak people out. But if you're one that has to have business meals, you may have to talk to the Lord about how you can fast around business engagements. But I think it's perfectly all right. Dr. Barclay says the same thing. You got to let your family know. Hey, honey, family, uh, daddy's going to fast for the next three days. I'm not having any meals, but I'll sit at the table and I'll pray with us and drink water because daddy's seeking Jesus. So it's all right to share that. You have to. Otherwise, you're not communicating in your home as well. And now you're back to strife and quarreling and fighting. So fasting's not a bragging right. And really, we don't, we're not impressed with how well you can fast, so don't act like you're all that spiritual. I might say, why haven't you done this before? Why are you just now waiting to fast? You only fasted for two days? You probably should go for four. What? You mean, I didn't realize you were addicted to Mountain Dews. You need to get set free from that Mountain Dew devil. Obviously, it's not a devil. It's just, it's just habit is all it is. Just like there's no I drudge report devil that had me bound. It was just flesh wanting to check drudge report 15 times a day because they update every hour, you know, and who knows something might happen and I need to know about it. It's just flesh. That's all it is. So it's not a bragging right, but it is okay to let people around you know that you are fasting so they can accommodate you, but do it with the right heart. So let's look at some other things fasting can accomplish. Again, this lesson is fasting do's, don'ts, and miscellany. Fasting can help you keep your flesh submitted. Your flesh has cravings and desires that must be kept in check. Fasting helps to deny the flesh of the things it likes and wants. This is where I like to quote Dr. Barclay. He says, fast your attractions so that they don't become distractions. Nothing wrong with ESPN, but if you have to watch it for two hours every night, you may want to fast it just to break the hold it has on you. And honestly, if you're watching it for two hours, you've seen the same sports events four times because they cycle and they've got that little ball that drops to tell you what's coming up next. You only need to watch it for 30 minutes at most and then you're done for the evening. But some folks, our flesh is just, is just given over to addiction. Anything you do, you can, if you're not careful, you can fall into obsession over it. Maybe you've got to vacuum your carpets 20 times a week. That's a bit extreme. Maybe uh, you just can't go to sleep unless the chrome on the kitchen sink is polished and there's no water spots. How about you let that go for about three weeks so that it does not have you? How come we can't go to sleep until we wipe the, the water spots off the chrome, but it's easy to fall asleep without reading the Bible? How come that doesn't gnaw at us? But we'll wake up. I think there were dishes in the sink. They should be done. Let it pile up. It might be good for your flesh. See, now we're all for keeping your house clean, but again, we want to keep a balanced life. You can get obsessed. You can get weird. I think I've told you when I was in college, I used to run and work out a whole lot. 
And there would be days my flesh would say, I don't want to run. And it would scream at me and I'd say, we're running twice as far. And we get out and just run. And then there were days I wasn't feeling well and my flesh would say, if we don't run, we're going to get fat. If we don't run, you know, like I'm going to get fat in college, you know, especially. We're going to get fat if we don't run today. And I'd say, just for that, I'm not running for two or three days straight just to show you I'm in charge. See, I fasted running. Because anything you do, your flesh can get obsessed with and want more and more. I've told you the story of that uh, ultra runner. An ultra runner is anybody that runs longer than a marathon. And this woman, she'll run 100-mile races. But she trains constantly, and she was, she's so obsessed with it. This article's been a couple years ago now. Um, her husband's a marathoner, but she takes it further. She'll run a 200-mile race. Can you imagine running 200 miles? We can't even walk a block through the mall, you know. I need one of the hover-rounds so I can get to JCPenney. <laughs> but she said, she said, I just can't sit still. I just can't sit still. If we drive... We go on a road trip somewhere and we stop for gas. I'll get out of the car and start running down the interstate. till my husband fills the car up with gas. He picks me up along the way and then I can sit still again. That woman's obsessed. She could go about six months without running and it would do her flesh a lot of good. See, some of us, we need to be motivated to get up and walk some. She needs to be motivated to sit still some. So we're not talking about withholding just food for calories, but there's, in, there's everything we do, we can get obsessed with it. And fasting helps break that obsession because it lets you know the world will not fall apart if you don't wash your hands five more times today. Maybe you should go without washing your hands if you're obsessed over it. You know, the world will not fall apart if you don't get to run two miles this week. The world will not fall apart if you don't get to wash your car for the third time this week. The world will not fall apart if you don't get to weed your flower garden this week. See, these things get a hold of us and fasting them puts it under and says, no, you will not control me, garden weeds. You will not control me, dirty kitchen. You will not control me, this, that, the other. Because this is about a moderated life where you're in control and your appetites and your cravings are not. You know, some, some ladies get obsessed. Oh, my nails haven't been done. Oh my gosh, they're starting to grow out. Let them grow out just to do it. Just to say, I control you, flesh. You do not control me. This is what fasting does. This is probably the biggest yoke it will break in our life, is the power of carnal appetites over us. And the thing is, your carnal appetite has a voice, and it's always talking to you. And when we need to hear from God, lots of times all we're hearing is our carnal voice talking to us. You need a Mountain Dew. You need a Starbucks. You need to cut the grass again. You need to wash your car again. There's water spots on the chrome on the new kitchen sink. You mu- yeah. That's weird. You haven't run in two days. And when you did run, it was only 18 miles. You're going to get fat. Wait a minute. I just ran 18 miles two days ago and I'm going to get fat? That's, that's the voice of your flesh being goofy on you. Fasting keeps these appetites under control. And it's not just a food appetite. It can be many other things. Many, many other things. There's a power struggle between your flesh and your spirit. Fasting helps your spirit man to win. You know, there there are some people, food doesn't have a stronghold on them, but perhaps sleep does. Maybe you should fast sleeping and maybe roll your alarm clock back one hour just to break it, just to say, we're getting up at six o'clock and not seven. And don't let your flesh love sleep. You have Bible for that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body 
and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Notice he says he keeps under his body, and if he doesn't, he could be a castaway. He didn't say, I keep under my hungry appetites. He didn't say, I keep under my thirsty appetites. He said, my body, which includes every appetite, an appetite to be overly structured, an appetite to be overly controlling, an appetite to be overly clean. Some folks should probably fast a dirty house and clean your house up for a change. See, fasting can go any direction and the whole purpose is to make you in control, your spirit man, the real you, and not what your flesh wants or what is convenient for your flesh. Some of you maybe ought to park in the back of the parking lot at Walmart and walk just to do it. Some of you maybe to put your flesh under, you don't finish your plate. You leave one bite on the plate just to prove you can do it. Some of you, I don't know, tailor it for yourself. Because the things that afflict me don't afflict you. And fasting is designed to give you the victory over this. Fasting, look at this next one. Fasting is often needed to cast out devils. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast this devil out? And he said, notice what Jesus said. This kind comes forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So that's Jesus Christ, the son of God, who knew more about demons than anybody on earth combined. And he said, this kind of devil right here, the only way to cast him out is with prayer and fasting. Sometimes you've got to fast to cast devils out. You mean the name of Jesus isn't enough? Not according to Jesus. Sometimes you've got to have prayer and fasting. You've got to lay aside all appetites. In fact, when Dr. Summerall, he famously cast the devil out of that 16-year-old prostitute in the Philippines. Her name was Clarita Villanueva. And... The Lord had him fast and pray because this woman was mysteriously bitten by devils and she'd go into these fits. She was in prison, Bilibid prison there in Manila for prostitution and they'd try to contain her and uh, she'd go into fits and bite marks would start appearing all over her body and blood would start to run out. These demons were biting her and they mistreated her and she cursed two people and they died within a few days so that everybody was afraid of her. And it became a national story, then an international story. This is in the 1950s. And Dr. Summerall said he was listening to it on the radio and said, oh my gosh, Lord, that's horrible. That woman's got devils. That's very apparent. Send somebody to cast the devil out of her. And the Lord spoke to him instantly and said, I have no one in all the Philippines that can cast the devil out of her. That's sad when the Lord has nobody in all of a nation with the spirituality or the clean living to cast the devil out of a girl. And he said, if you will go, I'll give you this nation. And so he began to fast and pray. And he said he, he, got, he got favor, got in there, and they had all these psychologists and doctors because they'd been studying this girl for months. And he walks in there, and of course she's Filipino, so she speaks either Tagali or, or Spanish, and gets in there, and he walks up to her, and first thing she does, she looks up at him, up at him and says, I hate you, in perfect English. And he said, he said, you're right, because I've come to cast you out. And took about, I think, 20 hours, but he got her set free. And they had a revival of over 100,000 people getting born again because of that one deliverance. But he had to pray and fast to have the authority and power to get those devils out of that girl. And in fact, one of the creepier parts of the story is she would, these things would come upon her and she'd wrestle with them. She could describe what they looked like to her, uh, to you. And one time she fought and struggled. And when she finally relaxed, she had hair in her hands. And, they, and the doctor there, the prison doctor, analyzed it, and he said, it's unlike any hair I've ever seen on the planet. 
And Dr. Sumrall said in one of his books, I don't understand how you can wrestle with the spirit realm and bring it into the natural, but she did. And she described one of the demons as this hairy little monster that had a top hat and teeth. And they would just crawl all over her body and bite her. Two sets of teeth, one bigger, one smaller, and they were perfectly round. They were not human bite marks. It was a perfectly round set of bites. It was just demons biting her. Other crazy thing is that is commonly reported in Japan. Demon bite marks appearing on people when they go through post-mortem depression. That's why when you get pregnant ladies, you have to resist that because if that's happening to the Japanese ladies, who's to say it could not happen to us here just because we're white or American. So fasting helps you cast devils out. And it's a good thing to live a fasted life because you never know when a devil's going to pop up with somebody you meet and you got to cast them out. Uh, Jesus said that, that the particular devil they were dealing with could come out by no other means but by praying and fasting. And I would remind you in the story that it was a spirit of lunacy. The boy was a lunatic. That might be what we call psychological disorders. Now, autism, Asperger's, that might be that kind of thing. Banging their head on a wall, I don't know. And the interesting thing is Jesus had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration when he cast the devil out. So he'd been up there praying and fasting himself. Now go figure, the Son of God had to pray and fast? Yep. He said, everything I do, you'll do. Might that include fasting? And if the Son of God had to pray and fast to cast out devils, are we any better? Only in our little pipsqueak, convenient American brain, are we? Fasting is a way to amplify your, the voice of your prayers. This is one of the new things I have discovered in studying this. And uh, the more I talk about it, the more we'll see it and understand it and have faith for it. For some reason, uh, I can't explain it, but there's a lot of biblical things we can't explain, but we understand them as fact and doctrine. When you fast, it seems to, the Bible imply, you amplify the voice of your prayers. And it turns your prayers into what God calls cries. That would almost encourage us to fast more so we can be heard better. Now, I know God hears us because he hears your dirty thoughts and rebukes you over them. But there seems to be some connection between fasting and making your voice heard better in heaven. Now, again, I can't explain it, but it is so. Look at uh, Isaiah 58, 4. It says, you shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. That seems to indicate that. Jeremiah 14, 11, and 12. Then the Lord said unto me, pray not for this city, for this people, excuse me, for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. So you notice crying out to God and fasting is tied, tied together. Is this more than just simple praying? This is praying with fasting, which God says more than one place is a cry, a loud voice in heaven. And they were doing it to get their answers. And when they offer burnt offerings and an oblation, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. The, a third one that just comes to me is Cornelius. There in Acts chapter 10, he was fasting in prayers often and offering alms and sacrifices unto God. And he wasn't even a Christian. And yet an angel shows up to him and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. What is it? the implication of that is startling. This man's not even a Christian, yet he's fasting. He's praying. He's giving offerings to God, but he's not even saved. Yet God is receiving it in heaven, but he's not even saved. He's not even seated in heavenly places, but at what he's doing on planet Earth, he's doing in, in accordance with the word of God. And they, an angel came and told a heathen, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. It almost to me, in my American understanding, it's like God sits on this throne and says, next, 
And here comes, um, there's a man named Cornelius. He's been offering prayers and fastings and offerings to you for many years. And God says, that man loves me and he needs to know about me. Uh, angel, you go send him to Peter. And the man's not even a Christian, but his prayers coupled together with fasting came up as a memorial before God. And they got his whole household saved. The whole family got saved and spirit filled instantly. And nobody laid hands on them or led them in a sinner's prayer. That's pretty cool. So your prayers, when they're coupled together with fasting, it amplifies the voice of your prayer. That's why people do it in the Bible in desperate hours. Jehoshaphat, when he needed victory in the battle. Ezra, when he needed protection across the desert. They couple these things together when they need instant help. And you think about it, we want instant everything from God, but we don't want to be inconvenienced by it. So either be inconvenienced now and be convenienced later or live conveniently now and be ready for a life of inconvenience down the road. Proclaiming a fast. Here's a subject that uh, folks don't like. They think it's manipulation, witchcraft and control and dictatorship. I have a right as a pastor to proclaim a fast for this church and everybody should obey. <laughs> Amen. I have the right as the leader to say, all right, church, we're fasting this week. Pick something and fast it. We're going to come together. That we might do it next week because we'll have corporate prayer. Let's get together and see what God does. I have that right biblically. And you as the head of your household or the mom of your household, you can do that. Kids, we're going to fast and seek God because we need answers. And you do it. And that doesn't mean you, you make everybody go without food, but you have that right to. But I know a lot of churches, it's a very common thing in America now, and I'm proud of it. That I hear churches all the time say, our church is doing a 40-day fast. And I say, well, I don't know what that means. So what do you, well, I'm fasting coffee for 40 days. I'm fasting pizza. I'm fasting television. Our pastor's doing a juice fast for 40 days. He's doing nothing but, wow. And we're seeking God. Praise God. Why would you ever make fun of that? They're actually seeking God. Biblically. Not going to the bars and honky tonks, calling it spiritual. They're actually putting their flesh under to seek God. And the pastor proclaimed it and they're doing it. Proclaiming a fast. You can choose to fast anytime you want to in order to help your spiritual condition. But the Bible also sets the precedent that spiritual leadership can proclaim a fast for the people under them in order to help that local entity's spiritual condition. And by local entity, we mean church, nation, kingdom or family. So a spiritual leader can proclaim a fast for the people under them in order to help that local group's spiritual condition. Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast for the entire kingdom in time of battle. He said, entire kingdom, we're about to go to war. He proclaimed a fast and everybody, if they didn't obey, would have been uh, in violation of the king's command. You didn't want to do that. So you went without food. To, and then you said, Lord, we're going to have to do this till you get some answers to our king. So that all of a sudden they're praying a lot harder. Lord, answer the king because I'm getting hungry. Lord, answer the king because I'm getting hungry. And you had a whole nation praying for the king and for the nation. That's a powerful thing. Esther requested that the Jews in Shushan, that's the capital city of the Persian Empire, the Jews that were there in Shushan fast for her for three days as she prepared to approach her husband, the king. If you're familiar with the story of Esther, she had no right to come to her king without an appointment or without being requested. She was one of many queens. And if she went to the king without an invitation, and the king did not ex extend his scepter for her to touch, she could be killed for it. So she said, we're about to be murdered. 
I'm going to go to my king, though I'm not appointed to go see him for many weeks. I must go see him. But if I don't have favor, I could be killed myself just upon walking in there without an invitation. So she said she sent word, I think, through Mordecai to all the Jews there in Shushan where they were held captive. Pray for me because in three days I'm just going to walk in cold turkey, just cold call on my husband, the king, which history tells us was probably King Xerxes of the Persian Empire. And so she requested and proclaimed a fast and all the Jews fasted. So she walks in there and she's thinking, if, if this don't go right, I'm toast. And the king extended his scepter and she touched it and, said, and he said, what can I do for you? And she revealed the plot to kill the Jews and Xerxes was furious. And so that fasting, if they hadn't fasted for her, she probably could have been killed and so would have all the Jews. So she proclaimed a fast. They did it. And thank God uh, Israel was still alive to produce Jesus Christ for the world. Ezra proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava for all the men of the contingency returning to Jerusalem. They sought God for protection and guidance. That's another one of my favorite stories. Ezra, he's, uh, uh, King Darius lets him go back to Israel from Babylon. And uh, he basically says there at Ezra, I talked such a big talk to the king that I said, anybody that serves God doesn't need man's help. And he said, and then we got ready to leave and the king didn't give us any help. And because I had talked a big game, I couldn't dare go ask him for help. So I proclaimed a fast because <laughs> they're about to leave Babylon to traverse the desert back to Israel and they needed help. So he proclaimed a fast and they fasted for 12 days waiting to hear from God. And they got it. And we hear nothing of the, tri uh, the trip across the desert. And that's a good trip when there's nothing to report. You just, you just have a good trip. King Jehoiakim proclaimed a one-day fast for Israel in the days of Jeremiah. The king of Nineveh, this is another one of my favorites, the king of Nineveh proclaimed a fast for the entire kingdom, animals included. In fact, he was, he, he was so fearful of this reluctant prophet Jonah's word. He, Jonah just walked through this. I, 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 can, I can see it because Jonah didn't care for the Gentiles. He wanted them all to die anyway. So I, I can see him going... Repent, God's going to kill you. Repent, God's going to kill you. Repent, you're wicked, God's going to kill you. I can see him half-heartedly preaching it, which is quite the contrast to today when we preachers preach with all of our fire, nobody listens. He half-heartedly, I, I believe, repent, I don't care about you guys, but God does for some reason, or God's going to kill you. I wish he would. Repent. <laughs> and the king said, oh, dear God. We have angered the God of Israel. Proclaim a fast. Your kid, it says the infants didn't get to eat. And make sure your cattle are in sackcloth and ashes. So even the cows had to fast. And I guess they went around putting ashes on them and made them lay down on sackcloth. But it turned the wrath of God very quickly. And God gave them a hundred years. And at the end of a hundred years, they had gotten dirty again and God wiped them out. But he gave, hundred years is pretty good after one fast. That ought to motivate you to fast. If you could get a hundred more years out of it, well, we want to be convenienced now. Uh, and we say that I'd trade 100 years for a Klondike bar. <laughs> what would you give for a Klondike bar? I'd give 100 years. <laughs> now, so the king of Nineveh proclaimed a fast for the entire kingdom, animals included. God had mercy. He heard their cry. He saw their humility. Um, Joel called for a fast as the day of the Lord was at hand. Joel the prophet proclaimed a fast in Israel, said the day of God is at hand. Repent. And they fasted. And look, Joel 2.15, even the Lord says, this is a commandment from the Lord, blow the trumpet in Zion. That's the church. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. In the Hebrew, solemn assembly means a day of restraint. That's a day of fasting. 
A day of restraint is a day you restrain your appetites and you go without. So it is biblical to proclaim a fast. And since next week is our corporate prayer, maybe we'll proclaim a fast in tonight's service and just say, everybody pick something and go without it for a week. If it's food, food, if it's coffee, Mountain Dews, television, and let's see what God does at our corporate prayer after we have fasted all week and sought him. I like this idea. We may just go ahead and try it since I've taught it and faith without works is dead. Let's do it. All right, real quickly now, how long should I fast? That's a good question. Here it comes to the dues. The Bible offers examples for different lengths of fast. However, the Bible does not offer a set prescription to the length of our fasting. We must let either our heart or the Lord determine the length of our fast. The day of atonement fast was only for one day. And again, I will remind you, the day of atonement fast is the only prescribed fast in the whole Bible. It's the only commanded fast. And it was for the Jews under the old covenant on the day of atonement, the day the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And it was only for one day until the evening. Then you could eat anything you wanted to. That's the only prescribed fast. So that's an example. That's a one day fast. Moses fasted for 40 days while on Mount Horeb. Moses was with God himself for those 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days, but an angel prepared Elijah's last meal before his 40-day fast. Showing you different lengths of fasts here. David fasted for one day at the death of Saul, but he fasted and prayed seven days for the life of his uh, first, uh, first son by Bathsheba. Daniel fasted pleasant bread for three weeks, and he fasted the king's food indefinitely. Ezra fasted for 12 days before he left Babylon for Jerusalem. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. This was the Son of God preparing for his ministry launch. Also, another time, Jesus' disciples fasted for three days while they traveled with him. And Paul fasted for three days after his Damascus Road conversion. Now, these are not all the fasts in the Bible. There's, uh, there's 20 or uh, 25 different fasts mentioned in the Bible. This is just a few of them. But you see ranges from one day, three days, 12 days, 21 days, 40 days. So there's no set prescription for how long you fast. You must let your heart determine it or the Lord speak it to you. But I would point out to you, and this is what the asterisk by those are. There's only three people in the Bible that fasted for 40 days. Moses, then Elijah, then Jesus. And that was without food and water for those 40 days. You and I cannot do that. Medical science says you can only go about three or four days without water, then you're dead. But all three of those men, the son of God being the son of man, they were very supernatural in those fasts. Moses on Mount Horeb under the fire of God. Elijah, his last meal was fixed by an angel. And the Bible says there in 1 Kings that he went in the strength of that meat 40 days. So there was something supernatural about that meal. And then, of course, the third was Jesus Christ, the son of God, being led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. That's why I don't think it's biblical for you to fast food for 40 days. Now, if you want to do a juice fast, you'll come back a skinny mini and uh, praise God if you want to. I don't think I'm ever going to do that. I just really, unless the Lord shows up in a burning bush and tells me to, I don't think it's necessary. But here's the thing about those three, and this is why I think it's a biblical set for them and not us. The three of those men were also on the Mount of Transfiguration together. So there's a neat kind of correlation there. They all fasted 40 days supernaturally, but they also all show up on the same mountain when the Son of God is transformed into His glorious body and God the Father speaks from heaven. It was a very supernatural thing. You and I cannot fast for that long, not medically. So maybe that encourages you that you don't have to worry about having to fast for 40 days. But I may go for a 40-day media fast just, just to do it. And just to see how nice I can get my mind not thinking on Barack Obama or Newt Gingrich or the presidential election or Libya or Iran or Iraq or Pakistan or, or wherever. 
But hopefully you have some questions. Next week we'll do a question and answer session on fasting. Write them down. Maybe write them in your Bible. Stick them in there. Come back and we'll cover this. Hopefully we're learning something. Love you guys.